You know what I hate more than advertising, Alex? What? I hate when people promote things and pretend it's not advertising. Oof, that's bad, yeah. Well, I think we're seeing a lot of backlash to that with the influencers. Mm -hmm. Or with you on this podcast. No, no, that's tasteful. That's that's <laughs> yeah. that's integration, Troy. <laughs> very different, very different. Yeah. What time is the event on, on the 6th? It's 12 to 3, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Wait, is there a uh, website we can go to, Brian? I'm deeply interested in it, Genuinely. Yeah, well, I will put it in the show notes. Is there going to be snacks and things? Yeah, there are ca canapes and refreshments. And we're having a cocktail party on Monday from three to five. You're, you're both invited. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. You did that last week. It's amazing. Everybody got that memo. From oh, what, the cocktail party? Yeah. I thought I just mentioned the cocktail party I'm doing with Dot Dash Meredith on Tuesday <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> no, it's Thursday. Shit. I got that confused with the media leaders dinner that I'm doing on Tuesday evening. I'm going to be outside kind of protesting, picketing. You yeah. should. You know, there's like the Greenpeace people come they hired that meme of the this is fine and the burning house yeah that dog was around mm, I can. like he was just walking around sweaty uh -huh. i don't know who was in that costume. i'm sure there was a lot of marketers really trying to kind of strike a ip deal with that dog to sell more shit yeah greenpeace like had a ship off the coast i don't know what they were threatening to do uh, maybe they also see that advertising is great to destroy the planet no the ship was sponsored by nestle i think oh was <laughs> Welcome to People vs. Algorithms, a podcast about patterns in media, technology, and culture. I'm Brian Morrissey, and I run The Rebooting, a newsletter, podcast, and increasingly live events company focused on building sustainable media businesses. And each week, I'm joined by longtime media executive and investor Troy Young and Alex Schleifer, former head of design at Airbnb and CEO of Universal Entities. Longtime publicist ad exec Rashad Tabakawala has a go-to line about ad agencies that I've admittedly stolen from time to time. As Rashad says, they say we're like dinosaurs, but we're really like cockroaches. Everyone hates us. Nobody likes to see us. But cockroaches have outlived everyone. We scurry out of corners. I believe the same sentiment applies to advertising in general. Over my 20 years covering this business, I have seen several supposed existential threats to advertising. There was a time when TiVo was going to destroy TV ads. Don't forget about how cord cutting was going to do the same. No, wait, Netflix was making it so you could easily avoid ads altogether. Never mind that Netflix is selling quite a few ads these days. The IB told us that GDPR would destroy the advertising industry and along with it, democracy. They're both still around. And I must confess, for a glorious but short period a few years back, I played a small role in whipping up very faint hysteria that ad blocking was itself an existential threat. But, like Rashad said, advertising scurries out of corners. And even cockroaches would have a tough time in nuclear Armageddon. This week, top scientists issued a terse 22-word statement that simply said, mitigating the risk of extinction from AI should be a global priority alongside other societal-scale risks such as pandemics and nuclear war. I'm going to guess extinction also covered programmatic advertising. I was struck recently, actually just today, by an interview Semaphore published with the CEO of Perplexity AI. Reed Albergati asked this gentleman, do you see advertising being a part of search in the future? And the answer was, 
people should just put more effort into having well-documented information about them on the internet and an LLM can parse it on the fly. I feel like this might make the world better in some sense. Why do you need to advertise if an LLM can just go read about you and what you're saying? Well, that sounds great, but there's a problem here. Digital advertising is a $200 billion market in the US alone. There are a lot of jobs and there are a lot of companies that depend on advertising. As we discuss in this show, advertising itself is a cog within the capitalist system. Are we going to take down all of that and with it remake our societies? I'm interested to see how this pans out. So this week, Troy, Alex, and I return to the topic of the future of advertising. Beset as it is by regular challenges of economic turbulence, battling tech platforms with a stranglehold on the industry, nettlesome regulations and Byzantine supply chains that transfer much of the value of transactions to data brokers and other middlemen. But now it's also facing the many challenges of AI, with publishers adopting a fight or flight mode and new tools coming on the market like the ARC browser that can easily eliminate ads and the benevolent dictator of the ads-based open web, and that's Google, under the most pressure that it's ever been possibly in its existence. So a quick reminder before we get to the conversation to send me your feedback. My email is brian at therebooting.com. I always share it with Troy and Alex, and I'm really glad whenever I get notes about the podcast. We're always trying to improve it, and we want to see where it goes. Also, please leave us a rating and review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, and they allow you to leave a rating or review. I want to keep growing this podcast, and my own goal is to eventually force Alex into relenting to a lucrative and tasteful sponsorship deal. Now on to the episode. All right, let's get into it. Should we? Yeah, no, we should probably do it. it. That's what we do. Yeah. All right. So we got to start off with AI. I got to laugh because a little. Well, because it was a day of AI reckoning, right? Everybody came out saying that it's dangerous. No, it's not. When we talked about this and the text thing, I always go back to the Gartner hype cycle. And I still feel like we're on the upswing with the getting towards the peak of inflated expectations. And there are signs of cooling, sure, but it'll inevitably lead to the downslope to the trough of disillusionment before the upswing of the slope of enlightenment. Can you can you just run people through it? It's a chart. It goes up towards the peak of inflated expectations. I think we're still going on. Uh-huh. And then we start to go down to the trough of disillusionment. This stuff sucks. Mm-hmm. And then we go up with the slope of enlightenment. You're like, no, it's actually really cool. And then it just becomes the plateau of productivity where it just becomes part of our lives. Or it wipes us all out. We'll see. But I think this is all about inflated expectations. I mean, you, you come out and it's like, this is the biggest thing since fire. Can you get any higher of expectations? All right, so Troy, are we at the beginning of the downslope to the trough of disillusionment with AI? Because I was playing around with Bard this weekend, and I think I probably had the experience of a lot of people where I was like, "Eh, this is kind of cool, but this also kind of sucks because I can't trust any of the answers because I do like the obvious searches and I get garbage. Now is not the time to mute. Oh, he he hasn't muted. How are we doing? Can you hear me? Yeah. I think your Gardner chart's kind of right. The human mind can only absorb so much kind of prognostication and euphoria and like all the junk that we've been kind of overwhelmed with. Plus summer's coming and we don't have to worry about AI all summer. You know, our our enthusiasm will be tempered slightly. There's only so much you can take at one time. But also the letter came out today, it's Tuesday, and 350 AI leaders signed a note in the New York Times as of an hour 22 ago. words, 22 words. What? 
That was the statement, right? Yeah. I think though we got to bring it back. It's an interesting conversation, I think, to bring it back to media because I do think that the Jim Vandere wrote the note roughly that AI is going to chase all the crap out of the media system that was a function of people stuffing Google full of crappy commoditized content. And that direct brands, strong brands, authoritative brands, direct relationships will all benefit as a result. And in some ways, media returns to a state of higher quality. So he was in that kind of eight point Axios style note that he wrote, which was smart, I think was optimistic. On the other side, we have maybe you would argue it's productive. I think usually is futile. The kind of blustery Robert Thompson from News Corp, who admirably challenged Google in the last round of media castration from the platforms came out saying they need to pay us for their content and these are super snippets. This is our IP and we're going to kind of fight to the death to preserve it. I think that's probably time would say that it's or history would suggest that it's productive, but there's never going to be a kind of central clearinghouse of media compensation from the AI owners. That's not going to happen. So I'm not optimistic about that. I think if you're a media owner or media brand, you know that more and more, it's really just kind of like the evolution of search. More and more of what we searched is going to get surfaced in a response and media is going to have to live with that reality, period. Yeah, I had written a few weeks ago about this just after Barry Diller at the Semaphore event was really coming out, throwing the gloves down. Be like, let's go, let's all get together and and march on Washington. Like you said, most of this, like in the long run, is futile. But at the end of the day, I think News Corp has proven to be fairly adept at shaking down tech companies for payments. I think that they already have a playbook for doing that. They already know what to do and they're doing it. I don't think it's like mutually exclusive though, right? I think while all this is happening, so you have the platforms, the Googles and Facebooks of the world, and then you have the media companies, and there's going to be a lot of dealing and trading going on to make sure that those two business models somehow align, kind of the advertising and the search models. They're going to have to collaborate at some form because Google can't just remove all the kind of friction out of the internet and lose all those advertising surfaces, and media doesn't want all that stuff to get sucked into the learning models and, and will start fighting back. But I think whatever happens, there's also consumer products that are going to come out that are going to completely disrupt all of that stuff. I've been using that Artifact app more and more, actually. And a big part of it is because they have a summarize button. It used to be hidden under a little submenu, and now it's right at the top. It's a little icon at the top. It's a silly little feature. It turns it into three bullet points. But whatever media companies and Google does, I don't think they'll be able to fight the fact that you'll be able to create incredible ad blockers, incredible things that will reshape the internet. The browser that I use, the Arc browser, has this kind of boost feature, right? You you looked at it, Brian, that allows you to kind of yeah. reshape, remove stuff from the internet. People have already done things like it removes blue checks in Twitter and it does stuff like that. Information will be so reshapeable that I really really don't know how else you're going to make money except for subscription, except from locking this stuff behind a paywall. 
Because right now, advertising is a pretty dumb way of creating a tax or generating revenue that will be very easy for these AI tools to just wipe off anything you put on, on any open platform. And this could happen at the screen level, right? It doesn't even have to reshape HTML. The thing could just look at your screen and reshape what you see. So it doesn't matter. could be video playing, technically. You can't tell me that you have a one-button deepfake that can turn you into Dwayne The Rock Johnson, but you're not going to make something that's able to remove all the ads and all the bullshit you don't want to see intelligently. So media and the platforms are going to have that fight. But meanwhile, there's going to be a lot of nice little upstarts kind of trying to just position themselves into removing all the friction from users. And I think that's going to make paid subscriptions the only way to make money. Yeah, it's funny because it reminds me of when the very brief ad blocker mania of a few years back. And we would always have these stories where I would call them like, let's do too, too many rather than too, too few. And ad blocking was one of them because it had like fear and it had all sorts of things. And people were, for a little brief period of time, people were scared of this. They were talking it up. It never ended up becoming a existential threat to publishers. It became like a manageable condition. And of course, the ad blockers themselves ended up getting into the advertising business. And maybe these AI companies will do the same. But tell me, talk to me a little bit more about how this can become like ad blocking too, back and better than ever. I think that's smart. Before I comment on that, I was at Home Depot in Vancouver and I noticed that there was a Samsung washer and dryer pair and smack dab in the middle of the machine was a button, like the big button, a huge button that said AI wash. <laughs> and on the dryer, it said AI dry. I think that's what Alex is talking about, which is AI get my media the way I want it. And so if it is the ultimate kind of context smasher or flattener, if you want to get your media, particularly text media, but Alex was suggesting kind of any type of media, reformatted, reshaped, repackaged, AI is an ultimate toolkit. It might happen on device. Look at the technologies we have today. So you have things that can get a lot of context from text and create a really quick summary of it. You have things that understand the structure of HTML and can dynamically remove components out of it. You have uh, real-time video manipulation that allows you to change the way somebody's face looks. So you kind of, sort of extrapolate that and you build a tool that says, hey, look at what I see on my screen and reframe it. So let me give you a very simple example. I can't imagine we're not minutes away from a podcast app that skips all the ads intelligently. That just essentially learns where the ads are and skips forward for you. Now, the question is, at some point, that starts feeling a little bit like piracy. It's a little bit like a Napster issue where you have these tools coming out that can actually maybe run on your device that can skip ads, that can pull out all the content from a website and give you a digest and totally remove that control from the publishers. Unless it's behind some sort of paywall, so therefore they yeah, don't Yeah, but care. unless it's centralized and it's a very easy-to-use app and that requires like funding and stuff like this, nobody's going to build their own tools. That's just not a mass activity. Maybe in California, but not... No, that's crazy talk. 100%. People are not going to build their own... Are you kidding me? What People do you mean build your like, own? It's going to be a five... Why do you think defaults are... It's going to be a... So if some centralized entity does that, yeah. they will get sued out of existence. Why? Because they... They will. For what? They always do. The lawyers are going to win. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. We've seen this time again. Are ad blocker right? apps out of business? Is it illegal to make an ad blocker? No, the ad blockers are now selling ads. Right, to make more money. Well, the ad blockers are letting select ads through based on their own made-up ad standards. Yes. <laughs> exactly. 
which happen to conform to the people who pay them. That's money. fine. That's not suing. I mean, if somebody released a $10 app on the App Store that did that, a VPN, say, or something like that, or a browser, is somebody going to sue Arc because you can modify a website and remove the ads using that thing? Yes. 100%. And where's that going to go? Commercialize that, they will get sued. Where's that going to go? They will. Do you remember Gator? Right? Do you remember Gator? There was this early like internet mania of this toolbar that got installed on everyone and they ended up changing people's websites. The New York Times sued them and they won because it's established law that you cannot do that. So maybe they operate in the Seychelles or whatever, but if someone wants to build there's just too much entrenched interest. We watched Succession. We know how this goes. Go regulatory. I don't know. They haven't seen that many ad blockers get shut down. I just think that right now, publishers have had a way to fight ad blockers and they're still kind of a... You guys, IO just raised like $50 million or something. IO's the biggest ad blocking company. They've challenged rulings in the German courts. They're legal extortionists. The number one use case for ad blocking is to remove ads from YouTube. But since YouTube's introduced a paid tier that removes all the ads and stuff, I think it's become less vital, but it exists as a totally... And by the way, there are also there's deals happening where they become embedded at the platform level with Samsung as device-level ad blocking. I mean, their business is doing fine. But I think it's a bigger point, and it's it certainly is speculative. But Alex's point is that AI ultimately is a technology that gives more and more control to the media consumer, and that it will get easier and easier to reshape the media the way you want it. And all it will do is if, yeah, some of it gets caught up in court, or if it's not for my mom, but it's for enthusiasts, that somehow that gets reshaped into an app or something and gets absorbed into the system. That it's negative pressure on systematic delivery of advertising in the ecosystem. So I can't disagree yeah. with that point. Yeah, but it's going to be negative pressure across all sorts of fronts. You talk about subscriptions. These models are are going to be scooping up stuff behind paywalls. Like, I think, I I think that's understand. just more defensible. I think that's just more defensible. I'm not saying they won't. Right? I think everything's possible right now. Right now, there's so much that's gated behind the fact that things are just a little too complicated. It's kind of complicated to add an ad blocker. It's kind of complicated to go to BitTorrent and download something. Some of these things are just more friction than opening Netflix. A lot of that friction is just going to be removed. You know, I remember when software piracy, the thing you needed to do to kind of solve software piracy a little bit was to have a manual with a red film you would put in front of it and they would show you a code and they would make it so it was hard to photocopy them. It had some sort of a red pattern on top of it. And then when you started the video game, it would ask you for a code that was on that page of the manual. And that seemed to be enough for them. And I think in the world of AI, you won't be able to protect your content or monetize it by just popping an ad on it or simply making sure that it's harder to kind of pirate it. I think there's going to have to be a lot more done and text content is going to be the least protected through this. It's going to be so hard to do. So I didn't want to completely change the topic, but I think we're going to look at platform versus media companies. And meanwhile, there's going to be all these tools coming up that are going to completely disrupt that. One thing that's going to be interesting is to see, like, will Apple, say, block a podcasting app that skips all the ads? Is that the gatekeeping that's going to need to happen at some point? Because then app stores then becoming even more powerful as people move more of their stuff off the web. Yeah, and uh, Apple also has a vested interest in advertising now. 
I mean, they're going to be a big presence in Cannes. They've got a big advertising business now. I mean, maybe they did it under the guise of privacy, whatever. But they're selling a lot of ads in Apple. And Tim Cook has done a tremendous job at growing services revenue and ad revenues next. I mean, they've seen what Amazon has done in the ad business, I'm sure. It's good, I think, for publishers that Apple has a vested interest in advertising, I think that's a good thing. Just like Google having a vested interest in both the open web and advertising is a good thing for most publishers. Isn't that that type of advertising though that Apple does, the, the main way I kind of experience it is when I search for Airbnb and Expedia pops up at the top. And I find that type of advertising really anti-consumer. You know, the fact that like you have to buy your own goddamn keyword. Jesus. I thought that was the most friendly kind of advertising. Uh, really? You're looking for something yeah. specific and it shows you the comp Competition as a first slot. Yeah, someone's providing a service to you, my friend. What's that service? They have the right. It's like going down the highway and you're going to the Hardee's, but you see a, a sign for absolutely. You've got 10 million apps in the App Store. The only mechanism for attention is to have some kind of paid mechanism. It's the only way that if you're an app owner that you can get any type of systematic attention to something you've created. It was different when there was a list of Oh, apps. it's also a perfect way for somebody with capital to hijack something you may have done that is popular. The thing I'm talking oh, about is yeah, like, that, Oh, that thing. Capitalism. Well, yeah. the, the, the thing that I'm talking That's about is imagine if that happened in Maps. Hey, get me directions to a Burger King. Are you sure you're not, you don't want to go to a KFC? Is that the world we're going to live in? Hey, please download the Airbnb app. You sure you don't want to download VRBO? That type of stuff is that's what that is one form of advertising. But Apple's advertising business is first of all, it's bigger, but it's also going to be far broader. They're building a demand side platform at Apple, and they're going to bring ads to Apple TV for sure. They're going to do Maps ad. Yes, I opened up Google Maps, and they have Starbucks, an iconic Seattle coffee house. I think that Starbucks paid for that. I don't think that. Anyone would describe Starbucks as iconic. Right. Or I mean, um, any distribution that you're looking to tilt in your direction is going to be paid. A lot of people aren't just searching for Airbnb. They may be looking for vacation rentals and the Airbnb would compete with Expedia and VRBO or whatever. You might search top mobile phone games or something like that, and it'll give you Subway Surfer and a bunch of other games. I think that's a totally legit way of presenting options to a consumer. And they're also getting deeper into Major League Soccer. I think Apple is going to be very invested in the advertising industry. They're going to try to reshape it. Totally. And they're going to try to challenge a lot of the issues that are on cable-like frequency and commercial length and opt-in and all the things that innovative leader there is definitely YouTube. Listen, on YouTube, if you don't want ads, you can pay 15 bucks and you don't get ads. On YouTube, if the ad is 40 seconds or you can, you, the ad can be however long you, however long you want it to be. But you can skip it after five seconds. So it's a fairly civilized approach to video advertising. Yeah. The directory stuff that you're you're not happy about, Alex, is as old as a print directory, right? You could buy a bigger ad on the page in the yellow pages. It seems totally fair to me. Yeah. And I think they're also going to change, obviously, with the approach to the rampant, some would say wanton collection of data in digital advertising. I think one thing is very clear is... There's a lot of different forms of advertising, but Apple has no time or very little time for how advertising has been done by a lot of the social media platforms. So that'll change, and that's good, maybe. Yeah, you know what's interesting about the ad stuff? 
to me is, so it used to be that if you were, say, a DTC company, a direct-to-consumer seller, and highly dependent, obviously, on buying advertising from Google and Facebook, you would try to optimize, you would have people that were extremely good at optimizing your buying, and you would also try to optimize creative. Increasingly, the media optimization is done, say, by Google across all their advertising channels, and it's all automated. We're not far off from the creative side of it being much, much more optimized, certainly the text and increasingly the images and then next the video. So in that scenario, what's interesting is I think that platforms have even more opportunity for margin expansion and they have the power because the distribution position is the last thing that is optimizable and it's the thing that the platforms have and they control. AI will drive all of the other dimensions of your buy and advertising will become just like buying distribution. That's it. Yeah, I don't know if you saw this. I put this in the chat. But Spotify, at least according to Bill Simmons, is experimenting with AI podcast ads. They're going to take his or the host voice and scale it, I guess. I was asking Alex the other week about how to scale myself. So I guess this is like one possible use. I mean, because one of the things that I've always found sort of charming about podcast advertising is the host read, because I think it confers, I don't know, a level of, I hate the word intimacy, but familiarity that you don't get with the automated programmatic ad system. I think this is an interesting way to be able to, I don't know if you can scale the sort of human touch. I don't know if it'll be discernible, honestly. I'm super worried about advertising mixed with AI because advertising design... In, we know it, your priors, out. No, no, it's not. Like interface design is already, it's a type of manipulation, right? You get people to do what you want them to do within a specific context. I think once you have advertising with AI, especially the kind of engagement advertising that we do, it's already hard to discern advertising from the content. I think on Google, it's actually hard for many people to see like what's an ad and what's not. They're blurring the lines. And with AI, I think those lines are going to get blurred even more. And on top of that, the computer is going to be so much better at manipulating you into feeling like something's not enough and you need to buy something new. And I think it's just going to be a fucking disaster, guys. Did you see that NVIDIA did a deal with WPP, the world's largest advertising agency, I might add, in order to bring AI into ads? Apparently, this is what they say, the platform will enable WPP's creative teams to integrate content from places like Adobe and Getty with generative AI to produce advertising campaigns, quote, more efficiently and at scale. Well, that's very enticing. According to WPP, this will enable companies to make large volumes of advertising content. Yeah more tailored and immersive. You know what tailored means? It goes like, it'll know your anxieties and your deep insecurities and make sure that it makes that person wearing the dress look a little bit like your mother. It's just like going to be this type of crazy shit that we have. We already see like advertising on Facebook, people saying, well, I just told people I missed my period and now they're advertising baby clothes. And that feels intrusive. Fuck, we have no idea. And if there's money, people are going to do it. And this stuff is... I, I don't know. I think I think advert. I like that you're not worried about humanity being erased. You're like ah, whatever. But then like the idea of like advertising being slightly more effective. The, the algorithm is how we've we've started fucking with humanity. 
social networks, the mental health crisis that we have hasn't been helped by our addiction to attention. And, you know, it's like, oh, we have all this attention and now we can monetize it. How can we monetize it? By making people feel like nothing's ever enough. All right. Okay. How do we make that? Okay. Well, let's make sure that the algorithm feeds them that shit. And so it's, and every five, times we show them something that makes them feel bad we sell them shorts or a fucking weed gummy or like a vape thing or whatever just because now they're stressed out we're continuing with that i'm not scared that the ai is going to wake up and say humans bad and make a bioweapon that kills everyone i think it's just going to make us crazy it's just going to make us crazier than we are and we've been already made wow. a little bit crazy can you, can by, you find by your social way, media I'll get me back to the i'm ready for this metaphor the baby seal metaphor I mean, this is really like oil, right? Like we found that attention was this thing that we could generate so much money from that we kept, everybody's so horny for getting all of our attention. They want to put glasses in front of our eyes so that then they can change our reality and make us buy more shit because that's the only way we figured out how to make money. It's not by making something that you sell, but it's by just making more shit that ends up in a landfill and then putting ads in front of our eyeballs every time we share a baby picture. It's depressing. And I think that's how AI destroys us. And I think the media platform and the advertising industrial complex is going to make that happen, guys. That's where it's going to go. I think in some ways it can't help itself. No, that's the problem. It's a machine it's and the machine does. Everybody's a Tom Wong. Kendall said, Ken said this. He's like, I'm a cog made for a machine. It's like advertising is a cog made for a mach the machine of capitalism. Yeah. And it is just going to slot in and it's just going to go. Yeah. So yeah. I'm excited for it. I think there's going to be new monetization. <laughs> I mean, you know, the more I think about it, the more it's like, I want to make a, a, a podcast about advertising that never accepts advertising. I know, Brian, that I cannot, <laughs> you, you gotta, this is, I, should we talk about the Curve Cafe briefly? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's really, I'm, it's, it's honestly, the program is, and we're going to discuss AI and creativity. Myra Nussbaum from Havas is going to come and we're going to talk about AI and creativity. Various other people. It's going to be amazing. But seriously, do check it out. Yeah. I love the drop the mic quality rant there, Alex. And the thing is, is that I think it will appeal to people that are even employed in the industry because many of them secretly realize that they are eating their own but it pays the bills for now. Yeah. yeah. Just like Brian. Brian is right with you spiritually, brother. <laughs> Brian is there, but Brian has to pay for I'm that. There. I live in the real world though. I just, yeah. I gotta make a living. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe there's a better way of doing advertising. The kind of very targeted engagement stuff feels so attractive and it's so profitable that everything's going through that. But we try to be optimistic, I think, and we try to be service oriented. You have a listener, a fan in San Francisco named Brian Monahan, who works at, and he sent yeah. me a note saying that he spit up his coffee when you used the baby seal oil tanker analogy. Mm. He spent his life in advertising, Alex, and he's also an idealist. He lives in, in Marin. I'm wondering how we help a guy like that out who wants to really he realizes that companies need to market themselves but wants to be a voice of positive change what advice would you give to brian allen um uh -oh. well thanks for listening on your cup of style <laughs>
No, I don't know. I think that the hyper-optimized models of attention and engagement advertising are just going to become more powerful and more performance, so they're going to become very attractive. But I also think that you can make irreparable damage when you put out an algorithm to say, hey, optimize around selling something because we know that people buy stuff to oftentimes fill a hole that they might have in their lives. And I think that as any company that's basing their business model around that, maybe invest a little bit in thinking through that and thinking how you can put some guardrails around what you make or finding different ways of putting your brands in front of consumers. And I don't have an answer. I actually feel, or I hope, and which is not great for the advertising people, but that we become less reliant on advertising and that, that it does become less attractive and that we have to end up making more stuff that's potentially experiential or in-store or whatever that is and stop being so... That's just a different form. But that's an okay yeah. form. Okay, so that's not But I am speaking specifically about this supercharged, highly targeted advertising that comes down our information yes. stream straight into our fucking brains that knows us because totally. it reads our social networks and makes us feel like nothing's ever enough. It's not enough. Yeah. So you know not th enough. Th that book I'm talking about that I've been reading, like God, Human, Animal, Machine, they talk about this. And I think it's just a continuation of the road that we went down with the internet because once you turned people into data you sort of lost sense of the humanity and i think a lot of the reactions against the collection of data people i talk to on the ad tech side are like what are you talking about third-party cookie doesn't do anything man give us our cookies and they're like we don't know who you are that's i'm summarizing but what it really does is it dehumanizes people. Yeah. It struck me in this book, I'm just going to read a little couple sentences from it. She writes, This sacralizing of information is evident in the growing number of social media platforms that view their human users as nothing more than receptacles of data. And she cites computer scientist uh, Jaron Lanier, who talks about that anti-human approach to computation in which bits are presented as if they were alive, while humans are transient fragments. And I think that, to me, speaks to how advertising has been done in the last 15 years in some ways. And during that time, it doesn't sort of escape my attention that the trust has gone down for a lot of different factors. But I think that with AI, it's going to force a bit of a reckoning with how far down this path do you want to go and what does human-centered advertising look like Yeah. versus collecting data and treating people like they're just pieces of data in order to target. I don't know. I'd love to hear what Troy has to say. Well, I'm wondering if, so there's the sort of the notion that AI turns us all into paper clips. Yeah. We've read yeah. that anecdote. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So is there a future where AI is optimized to human well-being and as such moderates negative inputs that affect our consciousness in ways that is unhealthy? and therefore changes media for the better. Is that a possibility that AI actually could be a There's only one way this happens, Troy. I know the way, but I'll let Alex go. First. I think it depends on the business model we adopt. With the right business model, yes. Social media algorithms could be optimized around making you feel more gratitude and more ease with yourself and understanding that what you might have right now is enough to be happy. But there's no way you can sell advertising against that because advertising sells when all these opposite things happen. This dehumanization has been happening forever. We call people consumers, not people. We call people users, not people. And then we even in advertising, people used to call them eyeballs. It's like we've consistently dehumanized 
things. And we found out that the best way to make people buy shit is to make them feel bad about themselves. And literally, I was watching advertising on TV and one ad was about a guy not having enough time to spend with his family. The next ad was about not having enough time to spend by himself, relaxing. And the next ad was not having enough time to spend working. So you don't work hard enough. You don't spend enough time with your family and you don't have enough time for yourself. So fuck you and buy our shit. And so, and so if the business model changes, yes. That was not the tagline, was it? Fuck you and buy our shit is everyone's tagline, by the way. <laughs> everyone's tagline, if you translate this. Fuck you, buy our shit. Okay? You suck. Did they focus group that? <laughs> you just re reword it. So Troy, 100% it could happen, but the business model cannot be advertising. I don't think so. It cannot. I think be. the only way it happens is one level higher, and that's transhumanism. We have to merge with the AIs. We do. It's the only way Fuck. out. Yeah. Or some benevolent AI. Are you into that this, Alex? Like, I, I've oh, been reading this no. stuff, and I've been thinking. I'm like, is Alex into this? Yes or no? I'm very much a technologist, an early adopter, and I think we're already there. I mean, I use AirPods and and all that type of stuff. I amplify my capabilities with computers all the time, but I keep worrying if I plug my brain in, then the ads are not just going to come in through my Google search results. They're also going to just come straight in through my thoughts. That's why it's going to happen next. Oh, you feel a little anxious. Here, buy this pizza. <laughs> that's that's where Ooh. we're heading. Okay, so you will not get the implant. No, basically. zero percent. Chance. Troy, you'll get the implant, right? I mean, I'll try it. I'll probably you know, just for the weekend. <laughs> what if it comes You're as a little uh, pack version. with nicotine that you can put under your tongue? If it comes with nicotine, I'll continue <laughs> using it. So I was reading a lot about this the simulation thing, and if you read too much about it and think too much about it, I think it can make you crazy. I really do think it can make you crazy because the basic idea is that our ancestors became transhumanists and they merged with machines and then they created many different simulations, millions of them. And we're just living in one of the simulations, just either for a history lesson about how humans used to be mm. or as an experiment or just for entertainment. And it was a passing reference, but it said that some of Sam Altman's associates are funding an effort to break us out of the simulation. Oh my God. God, that's a big narrative component to my game that scientists are trying to break us out of the simulation. Oh, really? Yeah. It was freaking me out. Yeah, I, like, I mean, the oh idea that God. there's like some sort of ancestor or precursor simulation, spoiler alert, this is part of my video game universe stuff. So anyone excited about that can turn it off. But that we live in some sort of ancestral simulation that if we build enough technology that is powerful enough, it can itself break through or hack into the simulation and change the fabric of reality which is fun, fun stuff. Once again, it's not enough to be alive and have an experience and love people around you and experience the universe. You got to be able to hack it and break it. And you know what? So then you can place ads straight into reality. <laughs> That's the next step. <laughs> Just, you see this rock? No, it's it's an ad for Coca-Cola. But yeah. I told yeah. you, Brian, when you made the, the suggestion this week that we focus on ads again, that it was troubling. And then Alex would get upset. <sighs> well, I, we, I tried a different direction and we got roped back in here. It's right. not upsetting. I, I think the end of humanity is more upsetting than the ads. Well, but you wanted to talk about Timu ads, right? You, <laughs> I do want to talk about Timu ads. Wow, yeah. But I, that might have said Alex. I gave you guys an example. 
Yeah. I mean, we're going to be flooded with shitty ads. So programmatic ads came to the subway, the New York City subway. I think you should do a quick, what's going on in the ad industry corner? Yeah, what's going on in the ad industry? Let's see, we're bringing programmatic ads to the subway. WPP is getting in bed with NVIDIA in order to scale creative. And then what else do we have? Oh, Temu. Timu? I don't know what it is. It's pin globals. Yeah, it's like some kind of knockoff Amazon from China. And they sell incredibly cheap things. And they are flooding the internet with advertising. I don't know if you've seen these. Don't even show Alex that. They would make the content wreck ad networks blush. going to literally have a breakdown. Because it's everything he does. Yeah, it's everything I hate. It's like fully just algorithmically programmed crazy ads that break your brain, that make people buy stuff that goes straight to landfill. You can get like a thousand toothbrushes for a dollar. It's just the amount of landfill that's like cycle is unsustainable. It's wild. I agree with you. Yes. It's awful waste of human energy. Yeah. Here's a tongue scraper. Just because your breath stinks and you suck. Buy the tongue scraper, you'll have more friends. <laughs> Fuck you by our shit. It's there's like those little floss plastic floss tools are everywhere these days. I think because yeah. the margins we need are more amazing. plastic in, in the in the world. But how many people are walking around the streets flossing like that? Is that like after you eat pizza? Well, it's just because I do that sometimes. I wouldn't recommend it. People don't like it. It's gross. Yeah. To walk around, to go to like the corner store with a flosser in your mouth? No. Yeah. No, you don't do that. It's weird. If there's anything you learn in this episode is is don't floss while walking into a grocery store. It's maybe the last episode we ever do. I think we hit all my topics except for Netflix hated ads until it loved them, but that was kind of shoehorned in. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody hates ads until they can see how much they kind of run out of consumers and they want to expand their reach. Technology makes advertising more performant, therefore it makes advertising worse because the ultimate advertising. If you plot a line, the 10 star version of advertising, the, the, the perfect advertising is a thing so powerful that anybody that sees it goes out and buys the shit. It's so targeted that it's irresistible. And that is the hypothetical pinnacle of advertising. The same way people said like the ultimate way to get a song is that you press a button and that song just plays. Then we we reach that really with technology. And so what is the pinnacle of advertising is that and we're going to keep trying to reach it. And so it's always going to make advertising more performant, better, maybe more profitable. But it's definitely going to make advertising worse for humanity. So I, I am worried about that. And I also wonder, like, that NVIDIA thing was interesting. Troy, you remember so many people that work in advertising are artists, people with an artistic soul that pay the bills working in agencies. And it allows them to kind of keep doing what they are good at and what they love to do, and maybe fund a career in the arts on the side. And I think when they're talking about scaling creative, what they're really saying is, like, downscaling creative people. Oh, yeah. And it's going to have a huge impact on how many people can keep having a pretty good living while being So basically, being, by, by being arguing artists. against advertising, you're arguing against artists. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck them. Yeah. Well, you know what? If they don't make any money, it's fine. They can still buy a thousand toothbrushes on Timu and you can get never have to work again. So there. that's fine. Everything's fine. Not surprised that WPP was the first out of the gate with this. I mean, Martin Sorrell for years was basically being like, can't we just replace the creatives with some kind of machine that spits out ads? Oh, yeah. Hey, wait, the Obviously. art director playing fiddle outside of my house with a hat next to him. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. Honor all labor truck. That's what's Honor next. All labor. And we're seeing it with the writer's strike. And we're going to see a lot more stuff like that where people are in creative fields, which was always something that I think every corporate leader wanted to cut back on, but felt nearly impossible because that was the last human thing that you really needed talent for. But the amount of things that I've heard in the industry of people being so excited about getting rid of artists, like literally because they're capricious and difficult and too expensive and we can't wait to replace them with AI is kind of sad because I think art makes the world a little better. I mean, I'm like yes and no because nobody cried when we were like taking away the jobs of people who worked in factories and unfashionable parts of the country. But now all of a sudden because somebody with a second house in the Hudson who also gets to do his art on the side is threatened by a technological change, it's all of a sudden, whoa, let's pump the brakes. Not everybody, you know, everybody was happy that these jobs were going away. But I think working in a mine... Well, I didn't see a lot of people, I didn't see a big discussion about it. Everyone was like, yeah, okay, let's retrain them. So let's retrain all the artists, I guess. Right, but I think there's a difference between potentially having a better job than working in a mine. I'm not saying that the retraining talk is always a good yeah. idea, but having people doing like difficult manual labor versus something that is more engaging and maybe doesn't. Well, now they can write prompts. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I don't. Did anyone ask them if they didn't want their jobs anymore? Yeah. <laughs> I think we got the answer in 2016. I'm not creating a, like a two-sided thing here. I'm just saying this is another one of those. Right. I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. I think advertising hey, I for the writers. It ended when DJ Khaled walked on stage to promote Dorito Pizza for Pizza Hut. That's it. It's over. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. I think DJ Khaled's gonna be in Cannes. Probably. By the way, do you know how many random celebrities go to Cannes? It's shocking, shocking how many celebrities go to an advertising festival. I had dinner one, a very enjoyable dinner with Boy George at Hotel. Oh. Yeah. That was so I think that's something when you think about like advertising, it's easy to like shit on it in some ways. But when you start to realize just how much it drives like cultural industries, it's shocking because there are so many stars who come up and are out there because we're all in sales to some degree. And they're out there selling. That's it. Yeah, Alex. Yeah. If I could, why don't you try to say something optimistic you know, just to wrap this up and we'll move into good product, Alex. <laughs> yeah. You're asking me to say something optimistic? Yeah, I thought that'd be interesting. I, 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 uh. Summer. It's summer. I do think there's an exciting time and we're going to see very exciting tools and, and things that empower people. And we're going to see a lot of new businesses spring up out of all this kind of access to new power and new technology. So I know it's, it's a lot of doom and gloom. The internet needs to be, especially the web, needs to be deconstructed and reconstructed into something better. The startup scene was becoming very samey. I think we have a kind of also deconstruction of, of social media as a concept. So I am excited about that change. And I hope a lot of young people with good ideas kind of come in and, and do stuff that makes the world a little better. So I do think I'm excited about the future in some ways. Yeah. I don't think the old system was working that great. Nobody seemed happy with it. So, no. you know, why not try something new? Google really fucked the internet up. And then Apple capitalized on that to put everything behind their app store. So it's not great. I gather that well, I'll never be hired by Google or Apple at this <laughs> stage or Facebook. So I have plenty for you to engage with around good product. Okay. Let's just go into good product. All right. All right. Good. Well, I just have a few things. First of all, I just got into a fight with my wife about, we were driving this morning and I wanted, I really am into Egg McMuffins. And she is sort of morally opposed to McDonald's. And she insists that we get egg bites at Starbucks. 
and I tried to explain that there really wasn't a huge amount different because they have a, they have a sausage, egg, and cheese muffin at Starbucks, which is just vastly inferior to the egg McMuffin. And she said, no, but the meat is better. Starbucks at least doesn't put bad things into their sausage patties. And I'm like, they're from the same place. And they're both big, nasty, profit-optimizing corporations. I, of course, drove into the Starbucks to make sure everybody was happy. I had a sausage McMuffin. People, a long time ago on this podcast, I said that the Egg McMuffin is a good product. Might the have been your first oh, yeah, one. I was, like, I, was, I was getting like flashbacks. Like, Can we talk about this? Yeah, yeah, it's just a, it's. Are just we already recycling good. good products? No, I'm not recycling. I just wanted a little update for folks that have been long time listening. <laughs> okay, yeah. That's important. True. That's important. It's the magic of media. I wanted to then focus on a couple of things. One is one of my kids is kind of going back and watching the classics, and we watched Jaws yesterday. It's a terrific movie, and it's so great when someone just takes time narratively to kind of like build the tension up. The kid's on the paddle board. It takes the shark a while to come over. They're fighting on the boat to make sure that it's just a great movie. And then afterward, the basketball came came on, and there was an ad for a new movie coming out called Meg 2, which features a giant prehistoric shark of some type. Jason Statham. Basically break, yeah, just basically just eats people, like breaks through the aquarium glass or jumps on. There's no kind of narrative subtlety at all. And it was just an interesting contrast between how we watched entertainment before and how we make entertainment now. Having said that, I also had a chance to watch a movie that everybody should watch again, which is the original Blade Runner, which by the way, Alex, has an eyeball guy. Remember the eyeball guy? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That movie is basically perfect. And it's so relevant now that I would just highly recommend it. But my final observation and maybe getting to a good product would be, you know, it's not a peach, it's not a fig, it's not green tea or some shit, Brian, don't worry. I have to say that, and this is going to make me sound old, but I don't think there was a better decade for music than the 70s. And I think that 70s soft rock and soul is the high watermark for easy listening. And I mean everything from like ELO to more obscure choice. You know that song Brandy? You know the song Brandy Mm -hmm. from Looking Glass? Or even real hit makers like the Bee Gees or Rod Stewart or even like Nick Drake. There's just so much Gladys Knight and the Pips. The 70s was the best. And the best way to get at the 70s if you're driving is a station called The Bridge on Sirius XM. It's just a perfect way to pass time in the car. I think liking 70s music didn't make you sound old, but mentioning Sirius XM did. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Susie Watford, CMO of Sirius XM, I believe is coming to the Curve Cafe to... The new attention economy, seriously. Ah, Jesus. Just throwing it out there. Troy, when you say the 70s, to me it's like 1972 to 1982, right? It starts a little bit later. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's 72 yeah. into the early 80s and that like kind of yacht rock type stuff as well. Well, y- yacht rock. Yacht rock had a moment. A big part of it, yeah. yeah. A yacht rock was popular for like a minute. It still is, then, man. Never does. It? My yacht rock. Very, very popular yacht rock. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Big time. Yeah. In fact, I think that Sirius has a dedicated Yacht Rock station every summer. It's basically the bridge. It's the same thing. So anything on any of that, any of those movies resonate with you? Or I mean, Blade Runner is one of my favorite movies. Incredible movie that still holds up visually, which is 
massive. Which is so massive, good. right? And it's hard to tell if films that came out in the last 10 years will ever hold up the same way Blade Runner does. And it's moody and it feels like an indie movie, even though it's like this massive production. Absolutely. And the first Jaws, how did your kids like the first Jaws? I guess does it still hold up? Them. Yeah. Well, with the close-up of the fish. Oh, no, the shark looks perfect. looks looks bad. But I always wonder, because the pacing is so different, and movies are so much choppier now, everything moves so fast. I always wonder how some of these films kind of resonate with younger yeah. people. But like Jaws is a good example, like where, just to bring it back to AI a little bit. I mean, a lot of movies are formulaic. So AI is going to take a lot of... When you do the sequels, even Jaws itself, it's just Beowulf with a shark. Not Grendel. Like when we think about all these like bursts of genius creativity, a lot of it is pattern matching and formulaic. Right. And but but in this case, I think there's an elegance to how it was executed. It's less about the, sure. the story arc and more about how it was done. Cinematography and just the pacing of it. Yeah, I mean, I think we tell the same stories over and over, but I think the way we reformulate it is nearly as exciting, right? Like blues is very similar structurally every time you play it. But I don't think that's what's wrong. I think there's so much about Jaws that works because of the cast doing things and also the story behind how it was shot and all the trouble they had and the fact that the shark has shown less than they thought it was because it kept breaking. And that actually created a tension that wasn't predicted. And I think that once you have access and no constraint and you want to make a shark movie, then you end up with the Meg 2 where Jason Statham is jumping out of a helicopter holding a harpoon towards a shark that's 200 feet long. That's what happens. Constraints, mistakes, real people. I don't know. I think that's what people appreciate about these older movies. People were also like, I don't know, a little like they had more blemishes, but yet were yeah. so still handsome and good looking. But isn't that the, the big assumption that I think is just an assumption is that people will gravitate blindly and dumbly just to the synthetic content versus like stuff that they know like humans made because humans will always, I think it's just an assumption that I don't know where it comes from necessarily. I mean, I understand, but do we have evidence that people People on Moss are going to prefer synthetic bullshit AI content? No. Like, I don't know, maybe. I have trouble believing in it. That's just purely because I've managed to have my own little A-B test. Not that I was planning it, but I saw something. I saw a piece of art that I liked. I thought that was quite nice looking, interesting looking. And then found out it was AI. And the second I found out it was AI, the appeal disappeared. I caught myself immediately like going, oh, this is no longer appealing to me. And I think there's something about realness that is really compelling. That being said, I think there's going to be a lot of stuff that can be and that will be AI generated. I think people are not going to mind it when it's porn. I think people are not going to mind experiencing stuff like news like that or just absorbing information. I mean, there's certain things that people will just want to consume just as like a fast food diet and other things that will need to be real. Right, but you know, fast food didn't put 11 Madison out of business. No, but it created a health epidemic that we're still paying for, so God knows. Gave it's Troy the egg McMuffin. Yeah, I mean, I'm with Troy that the Starbucks stuff isn't good, but I'm also with Jill that it's McDonald's is probably not great. You know, you can make those yourself at home in the air fryer and they're really good. Just take a ramekin, put a little bit of water in there, drop the egg in, you get that steamed egg just like McDonald's and boom, you're ready to go. You didn't let us have a microwave for a long time. We did get one. Air fryer. Came air fryer. No, we don't have a mic. Oh, you need an, okay, not a microwave, an air fryer. This is, yeah, you got to air fryer this. An air fryer an egg? Well, that's a good product. Yeah, huh. seriously. And also get yourself some ramekins. If you don't have ramekins in your house, get ramekins. I'm French, I have ramekins. Okay, good. You're sorted. 
All right, or, let's wrap up there. Okay. <laughs> that, that would have been a good product because it's an actual product. <laughs> I was very disappointed by the end of Succession. Really? I thought it was I good. I thought it was great. No, come on. What, what, so, what would you have preferred? Somehow I was kind of cheering for Kendall. There was the realization that he was disqualified from everything because he had a little slip up. <laughs> little slip up. Well, he killed someone. <laughs> Look. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you. All right, guys. Bye.